Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. You're tuned in to Real-Time Relationships. Enter the world of successful relationships. You'll get insider tips on how to navigate the perils and pitfalls of modern dating and up-close-and-personal real-life stories you can relate to from Dr. Camarado's personal clients. Dr. Marianne Camarado is a relationship expert, author, and media personality who continues to enjoy her own long-term successful relationship. And now, here's Real-Time Relationships with Dr. Marianne Camarado. Welcome to Real-Time Relationships. My name is Dr. Marianne Camarado, and I'm so glad you're here taking time to join us today for what I think is a very special show. Uh, I have the honor and privilege and sincere delight of being able to interview someone I love Gosh, I don't even know how to describe how I love this person, but he is my beloved and my partner and my husband and my friend and um, has a wealth of wisdom uh, that he has agreed to share with us today um, as we explore the topic of a very, very timely topic, um, not that it isn't ever timely, but with all that's happening in the world right now, this topic is something that's um, not only pressing but, but, uh, but curiosity for so many of us, and that's exploring what it, what it means um, to be a man today on the planet and in the context of the divine masculine and with the eclipsing and emerging divine feminine. This is a topic we're going to be talking about today, and when I was considering doing this program, because you know at real-time relationships, we're really most interested in the deeper, more intimate conversations that can help support you in attracting and creating healthy, fulfilling relationship in the four areas um, that we crave or are hungry for connection, our relationship with ourselves, connection with others, belonging uh, in community, and our relationship with the divine. So today we'll cover four of those areas of, of our hunger, uh, looking through this lens. And so, like I said, so much is changing in terms of the way we are viewing um, what it means to be a man right now. They are um, many folks studying this uh, particular topic are plummet. Is this a resurgence of um, feminism? Many people grumble no. Some say yes. Uh, some say they've never seen anything like it. Some people are saying this is a, a rebalancing of the imbalanced patriarchal energy. Whatever it is, whatever feels true for you, today we're going to take a look at um, my husband's perspective and his 60-plus uh, years on the planet of, of what it means to be a man through his lens and his very unique career, uh, iterations of his career have taken him through academia, uh, writing scientific papers, his degree in religious studies, uh, psychology, and into commerce. And as a son, a brother, uh, 
a member of society, uh, what it means to be a friend, a partner, and a father. So I'm so delighted and actually holding back my tears because I feel so grateful um, that I get to spend my life so intimately with this person, and now you get to meet him yourself if you don't already know him. I'm so glad you're here, David. Welcome to the program. Uh, it's always... <laughs> I just have a smile on my face. It's such a pleasure because we have been um, in this dialogue for so many years, and to share it is a is something that we both love to do. And, uh, and so so grateful for the many possibilities in this in this topic that we can explore. Yeah. And uh, just gratitude is just what overcomes me at this point. So thank you, sweetie, for showing up. Yes, it's my pleasure, and I get to do it with you. We get to do it with each other. And um, this morning when we were talking a little bit about the context of the program, I asked you um, to consider what I mean and what anybody means when we talk about masculine and feminine energy and then add the word divine to it. Um, it's, it's no small thing, and we're going to parse this out and take our time here, but in general, um, what, is, what do these terms mean for you? And then we will talk about how they've come to mean different things to you. But just in general, what, what, do, what do we mean when we talk about masculine, divine masculine and divine feminine um, and, and as an energy even? Well, without getting too um, ethereal about it, I think that the differentiation that I make that seems to work for me is that the masculine and the feminine are sort of large principles that we can live up to and the, the principle of masculinity and the principle of femininity doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what we think of as gender which then brings me to the other differentiation there are men and women there are different genders on the planet of all different kinds whether you're a butterfly or a seahorse maybe has a certain mixture of those but there's the principle of masculine and feminine which is this divine principle and then there's the we we have genderized that or we have made it into two things which are men and women male female boys and girls men and women etc which is which tries to capture the larger principle of the masculine divineness and the feminine divineness which are uh, a balance, perfect balance in a kind of harmony when they work together. But when we, when we only look at our manness or our womanness or the little boy or the little girl, sometimes we tend to um, bring them down to a place where there's a rightness and a wrongness. But in the like, like polarizing, polarizing, exactly. So we tend to polarize, and then we tend to choose which one is. When we polarize, then we have this choice of, I like this better than that. Mm -hmm. Or, But in the masculine and the feminine as a divine principle, there is no better. There's no right. There's, mm -hmm. It's just a beautiful, perfect balance between sort of day and night and all the other mm -hmm. perfect balances that occur in nature um, that we live with. But when we cut them up into and then choose how they are and then we further choose how they have to look 
Yeah, we have other preferences. Words, yeah. We then right. have preferences and says that, you know, little boys should hammer nails and little girls should sew or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, then we then say this is right and that's wrong. And that brings it down to the sort of a kind of a lower level. I use lower to describe the kind of conflict that we're in today. You know, little boys should go to war, for example, or, and little girls should... We're still arguing this very old um, paradigm of how things should be mm -hmm. and that doesn't have really anything to do with what's masculine and what's feminine. Mm -hmm. And we've confused that. And to our serious detriment, we are in a state of absolute confusion, particularly in the year 2018, of what's the right thing to do. We, we don't even know. We're, we're constantly in a state of confusion, which then creates even more confusion. Well, one of the things that you and I have been talking about all these years for, you know, over 15 years now in particular on this subject is um, the idea of polypsychology, right? The mm -hmm. idea that rather than that we are one thing or this reductionistic idea of who we are, like you said, that has a tendency to polarize because that's what consciousness does. Unconsciousness wants to be conscious, so it polarizes to something else can come forward. So we kind of get that in the dualistic realm, but in terms of looking at a, a sort of a radically different way to look at um, who we are uh, as individuals and our place in the world, polypsychology is something that you and I really enjoy talk of, talking about. Can you say more about that and, and what that means for you, the different parts of who we are? Well, just taking the word poly and using it the way I think it's being used in this context, that it means that you don't have, you're not limited to one side of the spectrum or one choice on the paradox. In other words, there are other ways of being. There are other, there is more than one way that's right. There is more than one way that you can express yourself. There are, there's multi-diversity. So it's a diverse way of seeing life and it's so many more, so many levels of ways of expressing itself. So the poly then ends up being a way of taking away the judgment of saying, okay, we have choices. We get to express ourselves in many, many ways, including male and female, um, or how we see that. There's not necessarily, we've always thought that there are, you know, if you were a man, you had to love a woman, and if you were a woman, you had to love a man. But we know now that that that's not necessarily in, in any way true. Mm -hmm. There are there are so many ways that we can express ourselves, mm -hmm. which are, by the way, equally right. Yeah, and think about ourselves and experience ourselves, yeah, exactly. right? Psychologically, spiritually, and yes. and and so forth. So this is so that's one, the poly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were going to say something about the psychological piece, or was that well, the same thing with really? polypsychological? I mean, we're all made up of psychology, right? We have a, we've labeled that part of ourselves the psychological part. And so in that sense, polypsychology, we end up thinking that we all ought to be a certain one way. And that is not true. It just isn't true. But we never ask ourselves what's true here anymore. 
because we're follow we're we're forced to follow a particular archetype which says that's the way you're supposed to be and if you're not that way you're wrong and bad or and if you are that way then you're right and good mm-hmm. but who made the rule <laughs> Yeah, well, and, you know, we could have that show because I could tell you who made the rules. <laughs> well, you know, I think the, yeah, the one who made the rules probably a man. He decided that he had a stronger fist and he got to make the rule, right? Yeah, and a bunch Which of is, them got together and saw yeah. the truth of that, right? Yeah, yeah well, it's not working. Yeah. Well, it's certainly up for uh, renegotiation now. Yeah. The trend is moving us towards another way, hence part of this conversation, we wanted to delve into this um, inquiry, uh, having you on the program, David, because you are someone that we can look at and say, oh, traditional man brought up in a second generation Italian, French, American family um, where, you know, man was the head of the household and the women knew their places. Um, so I'd love for you, and you've broken free from that. So people often ask me, how did you find this man? And he's so amazing, and they, they're fascinated by you because so few men in our culture have felt any impulse to break free from what's really been um, for a particular kind of white male, uh, 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 you know, best seat in the house. Like, why would you want to mess with that, right? Why would you not want to just continue to fight for that place? So um, I would like this show to be part of answering that question and reaching out to other men who may uh, feel the same way and other men who are inspired and, and women and, and whatever other gender you identify as, all of the other ways that we can imagine and consider ourselves. I want to invite us all to be inspired by your trying to break free um, from the constraints and benefits of this story. So could we talk a little bit about your childhood, what that was like for you, and what you were noticing then and how that began to change in terms of your um, orientation in the masculine and what you noticed about that in the feminine? Well, you know, having grown up in the 50s and 60s, Um, when there was, I think, much more stricter rules about how men behaved and how women behaved. And, you know, when my, my, going back even further, my mother was born in the year that actually women got to vote, which was 1919. And so it wasn't long ago. It's only now 100 years, um, actually less than 100 years, right, Um, by one, that women even had the right to vote in the United States. So... I grew up in that genre of thinking where women were clearly and absolutely, by law, second-class citizens all the way up through the revolution in the early 60s when there was all kinds of change going on. But the roles of which I grew up in were clearly defined, absolutely. Boys did this, girls did this, and anything in between was not just wrong but bad. And punishable. And, And punishable by actual laws. Yeah. Um, but in my heart, I, I always wondered. I didn't understand. I mean, I remember as a going to, I went to a Catholic school, and um, I did survive. As Louis Mal, <laughs> as Louis Mal, the famous director, he wrote a, a on his T-shirt, "I survived Catholic school." 
um, which yeah. I'll never forget. Um, but surviving that, I always question, like, how is it, why is that possible? So there was always in the back of my head, and then you bring up a really good point, why would I want to give up sort of the first front row that. seat? Yeah. And the truth is I didn't. I mean, I didn't realize the damage that I was participating in because I was part of it. So it's sort of like you can't tell that you have the disease when everybody has a disease, sort of as Miguel Luis, you know, Miguel Luis says. Miguel Luis, right. Yeah. Um, you just don't know that we all have the disease, and it was all supported. But something never felt quite right. And I, I saw the damage that I was creating as I got older. Though what I were some of the things? Sorry, what were some of the things you noticed as a young person that made you scratch your head? Like, how come I can and she can, or how come they can? Like, do you remember any of those specific well, things? Well, I, I remember. You know, I, I happened to be the middle child of in between two girl children, and. Um, one of my sisters was older and one was my age roughly by 11 months. But we grew up fairly equal. And I, and I saw that we were equal in all kinds of ways except I got better treatment, I think. I, I was just treated better. Now, of course, I liked that. But in the back of my mind, I always had a kind of curiosity about it. It was a small seed of curiosity, I will tell you because it wasn't questioned by anybody else. But I never and felt quite right. And everybody was doing it kind of thing? Everybody was doing it, sure. Everybody was, yeah. everybody was doing it. But it didn't sit totally it well just with you. Has a, so what I, I guess what I want to look at is that when we look into ourselves and we see that we're all people, and not, not male people and female people, <laughs> but we're just all people, we're all human, then there's a kind of equality, there's a kind of oneness. And I think a part of me just saw that. A part of me just, I didn't have disrespect, because I wasn't, I didn't get raised in a disrespectful family. So I was raised with respect. And I think that that word respect um, plays a big role in respecting others' intelligences or other, other forms of um, Expertise, like some people were good athletes or some people were good at this or that, and that those excellences, those, those forms of exceptional behavior made me, and many of them were many, matter of fact, I could think all the girls in my class when I was going through school were all smarter than me. I thought that. I thought, well, they could have better handwriting, all the things that were fast. They could write better. And so I knew that I'd keep my mouth shut because all I saw was all these smart little girls around me who were all um, better at some things. And so I thought, something must be wrong with this system. Even as I still remember that feeling. Now, could I articulate it? No, I couldn't articulate it. But I did feel it. So I asked myself, and as I got older and I learned to look at my feelings, I began to look at those and say, what is going on here? And I began to unwind some of those archetypal boxes that I was in. And you say it's the best seat in the house, and that's true. But what I would tell my fellow male brothers out there is that the house has bars on it. And that if you could escape from that, you'd see that the house 
that is one of non-dual thinking or this polypsychological or there's a much larger view when you get out of the house like that mm-hmm. and you're not confined. Mm-hmm. David, what led you to try to find your way out of the house? I don't know if you'd be willing to talk some about some of the things that I I remember you mentioning, like your pain. And, yeah, pain. And the pain is of, simple. We don't change unless I, I yeah. was so damn uncomfortable yeah. with what I saw as injustice. Now, I wasn't a an advocate for... Um, I didn't go out in March, and I didn't protest against all the things that I could have easily protested against at that time. I, I, that wasn't the style, but I couldn't help but notice where I saw inequality in the women's movement, inequality in the racial movement, inequality in the you know the war issues that were going on during the 60s, the uh, issues of you know kind of you know make love, not war, and peace, and all of that that was going on during that time. These were all speaking to different levels of inequality and different levels of repression and different levels of oppression that caused me depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I felt like something is wrong here. I need help. Mm-hmm. And so the truth is that I went out and sought professional help. And mm-hmm. to be honest with you, it took 20 years of various forms of looking at things Mm -hmm. and I forced myself through hook or crook through dying in my psychology to get out of what you call the best seat in the house to move to something which was far more glorious not without some you know conflict and pain and not without a kind of dying that I had to do I had to actually admit that I was part of the problem Oh, it's so beautiful to talk about these places of, of reckoning those pieces of our lives where we can just either deny and ignore and, and press on or we actually turn towards what, you know, what I call the shadow or unconscious material and you, and you turn towards it, which in my opinion and one of the things I love so much about you, so deeply about you is that you turn towards it and you face it. I, I'd love for you to speak to some of the things that some people might not see as benign or midlife crisis that I think are really telling when we come back after the break about how this breakdown was happening for you and you were seeking freedom from the masculine confinement. Uh, we get back right after these messages, everybody. Sit tight. You've tuned into real-time relationships. I'm Dr. Marianne Camarado interviewing my beloved husband, David Raynal. More when we get back right after these messages. We're talking about the divine masculine and feminine um, together. We'll be right back. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50, and it feels so good 
when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Welcome back, everybody. You've tuned into real-time relationships. We're so glad you're here. I'm particularly excited that you're here because you get to, um, in some ways, meet my husband, David Reynolds, who's joining us to talk about um, the divine masculine and the divine feminine and what that means for David and what he's seeing in his own um, the, the spectrum of his life, how he has come to reinterpret the meaning of those very potent um, phrases or what we might even call portals, really, and in light of what's happening on the planet right now and what it means to be a man uh, in this world today. This is a very, very important topic, and we want to be speaking to it out loud. David, before the break, um, you were talking about how you felt pain and you really saw in your own personal life what led you to start to shift um, moving from those archetypal influences and familial influences and from school and religion and all of that. You, you were feeling pain and you sought some help and you took a psycho-spiritual path. And I asked you if you would talk about naming, if you would name some of the things that were causing you pain. Because I think there's a bunch of people that might relate to that pain, but we almost have a way in our culture of ignoring those kinds of pains and giving them names like, oh, midlife crisis, or all men feel this way, or that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? So you can kind of muscle through or bypass those areas, but for some reason you didn't. And I'd love to, can you name some of those? Because I know you are having trouble in certain realms of your life, and I would love for you to just speak to them specifically. What was ailing you? And, and, and you know, if you wouldn't mind being a little bit more intimate about some of those things that were causing you pain. Well, from my point of view, I had uh, sort of the perfect life. I had beautiful children, wife. I had financial security. I lived in a wonderful house. I had virtually everything that the American dream um, could supply. So on the outside, I was healthy, financially secure, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the amount of privilege that I um, was exposed to was incredible. And I thought to myself as I was in that state, then why am I not happy? Then why am I not fulfilled or feel a sense of um, kind of always torn apart? And so I I paused, and I, I can tell you the year that it became most painful for me was roughly 1986 um, when I began to seek uh, professional help to deal with something that I never really knew absolutely existed and I didn't grow up knowing this, that my feelings were actually, um, had been so wound tight that had been so, um, on the outside I could get whatever I wanted, it seemed, 
I had successful jobs, and I'd always had that. Um, everything was perfect. So I was able to work in the system quite effectively, as you know, more than most, but something was wrong. And what was wrong was my feelings weren't being paid attention to. Um, yes, of course, I knew when I felt something on a surface level, but the deeper part of me was tormented. And I couldn't put my finger on it because every time I put my finger on something, it seemed like it was okay. Yeah, you have this great image you shared with me once about putting your key into the door of your house. Can you say, can you tell that story? Right. It's so poignant. Well, I remember coming home and I had a beautiful, you know, a beautiful car was a brand new. Um, everything was perfect, and I drove into my perfect house in the most expensive neighborhood in the most perfect area of the whole world, practically. Um, and I took the key out of my pocket, and I walked up to the front door, and I looked at the key, and I looked at the lock, and I thought, hmm, this seems something overwhelmed me at that point. As I put my key in the lock, and I turned the lock, it opened the door, and I was so surprised, and I felt so overwhelmed with something like, this is all mine, and yet I don't feel it. I can't feel my life. I can't feel it. It's mine. I walked. I knew the the Brioni suit I was wearing and the beautiful uh, most modern Mercedes that you could get and the this and the that, and I put the key in the door, and I felt like a, I just couldn't, I just didn't know what was going on. And it rolled over me like a tsunami, and it affected me so strongly that I was shaken by it, and I tried to shake it off. I tried to say, well, that's just, you know, a thought. You just have a feeling. You just have a thought. Just go out to your tennis court and play a game of tennis with somebody or shoot some Go swimming in your pool or have a bottle of wine. You'll be fine in five minutes. And, in fact, that's what I did, and I was fine in five minutes. Fine to the extent that I didn't have that feeling. But all of a sudden, the cat was out of the bag, and I, I thought, something is, has to change. I can't live like this. So I began to seek some help, and I was a very slow learner um, on that because I always tried to fix my internal kind of for you know i'll use the word kind of existential or ontological problem these deep problems which we don't have any names for necessarily with an outside band-aid a bigger house you know beautiful wife a beautiful children more 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 money and none of those things worked for me and the only way i had to go was in and so I went into my feelings, and I began to discover that I had more feelings than I even dreamed of. Hmm. But it didn't how, come how all at once. Yeah, it was that? <laughs> it was a slow, agonizing process because I kept trying <laughs> to get more money to fix it, and I did, and I was successful at it. And I tried to get more cars, and I did, and I tried to get more and I did and I tried to ride my bike I rode my bike I started riding a bicycle I mean you know eight to ten thousand miles a year and I did and I did it well and I everything was 
and I couldn't ride fast enough, far enough, make enough money to get away from myself. Mm. And so I began to take that very seriously mm. because I only had one alternative. I could take my bike and ride off the bridge or I could fix it. What started to happen to you in your life, David, uh, the way you had constructed it? Did it start to, for the, for the viewer's sake, because I, I know the answer to some of these questions, but it's important. H how did you start to change in your life? You said slow and agonizing, but what were the, what were the outward markers that you, something was actually changing for you over time? Well, I, um, I ended the marriage. I went into a kind of torment. I ended up having more, um, tried to seek more psychological help. And finally, I had some, what I think of as psychological death. Like the dark some of those, the soul? Kind some of? of those pieces just broke off of me. Yeah, yeah. And they broke off of me like a iceberg that you hear about in the, in Antarctica where you know, a mild piece of ice just fell off on one day, and it fell into the uh, ocean, and now it's separate. Mm. And that's what began to happen to me. Well, that's a gorgeous and very uh, important metaphor. Hold on to that, folks. Just taking a look at your own life, looking back, I'm getting visions of my own dark nights of the soul. We return after these messages more with David Raynal, my beloved, talking about what it means to be a man right now on the planet, what the journey of the divine masculine is, meaning the emerging divine feminine. Uh, more when we return right after these messages. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I am perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50, and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward, and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real-Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net Welcome back, everybody. I have the gorgeous privilege of interviewing my husband, David Raynal. Uh, for you, this program, um, we are discussing uh, the inquiry of what it means to be a man uh, in this world right now in light of all that's changing and the emerging divine feminine energy. Um, David's giving us his perspective, his journey to awakening, awakening from that exterior reference, masculine, um, you know, patriarchal, privileged life into his emergence, into his own 
what we might call divine feminine, divine masculine energies, the, the Carl Jung might call the, the alchemical marriage of both. And uh, David, before we went to the break, you were talking about your awakening, leaving a very long-term marriage, um, uh, rearranging your family, and moving deeper into this darkness in some way. How are you doing with this conversation? Just want to check. Oh, I'm, I, fortunately for me, it feels like I get to look at it from a, like I've gone through it mm -hmm. as opposed to I'm in it. Yeah. So I have a very good memory, so it's never really over with mm -hmm. because I can remember, and when I remember, I feel. Mm -hmm. But those that mechanism of feeling is actually what's helped me get through it. Mm -hmm. So feeling it still to this moment is actually a good thing because though I, d I know I'm not in it, to ever forget it would then, I think, lead me to repeating it. Mm -hmm. And ah, I'm not going to do that. Well, this is a, no small point, and so many lives were affected or are affected by big choices that we make when we make commitments to people and we change and things change and people change and there, there was a lot to deal with this not only on a personal level you had all kinds of uh, dealings with your family over the years and business dealings and so many of these choices um, that you had to make to find your more interior sense of yourself have have not gone without a heavy price which is one of the things that I was most fascinated about your journey with and that we wanted to share today you know being a privileged white male there's no real impetus for you to change, and yet, here you are. Uh, let's, let's talk about this, this thing, whatever it was, that shifted this iceberg that fell off, and now you have become a different version of yourself. Um, and if we looked at that in the context of your divine, masculine, feminine, emerging self, how would you say that was showing up in some areas of your life, like as a, a son? Did that change your relationship with your folks in any way? Well, I think that, you know, my parents did live to be uh, fairly old. and But by the time I got through most of this, um, both myself and my parents had gotten much older and softer. And, and uh, yes is the answer. I, I don't blame my parents at all because they were the um, product of their enculturation. And so there's the piece that is important for me was anything that I had to deal with with my parents was, on my part, uh, completely forgiven or, or any, and they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and the other piece I learned was a kind of respect, um, uh, forgiveness with a quality of respect to it. Um, that you get to be, um, like you, you see another and go, oh yes, and then when I became my own, uh, my own self became a parent, um, I also then saw the, the difficultness of that, um, state of being that, it, you know, there's no right or wrongness to how we do things. There's just, there's what we do. And then we do the best we can mm -hmm. given our state of consciousness. And I, all I ended up doing was just loving my parents, and that was 
the best solution. And that's the solution I have, by the way, for just about everything. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of compassion. Yeah, there's compassion and respect and forgiveness. And those Mm -hmm. qualities, I think, need to be woven into um, all of these conversations Mm -hmm. that we have. Mm -hmm. If we don't respect who we're talking to, Mm -hmm. um, whether you're male, female, or whatever you are, any version of humanity, you're just, you don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. Well, and you're and that's talking a about a, thing, yeah, exactly. Thing. And you're talking about a real big shift in terms of, you said, ontological, but epistemological, right? Like, how do we know that we know anything? And, and the shift for you, going from the exterior values to its interior locus of your sense of yourself, um, you know, respect meant something entirely different. It wasn't about how much you had or who you were or what you thought you were. It was sort of like, oh, a whole different set of values that I am now uh, moving through the world uh, oriented from, right? Exactly. So what about your relationship with your sisters or, you know, other relatives? Did you notice a change in the way you were moving through the world with them and even as a friend? Well, I... I think that once I've been making the shift, I can't say that there's ever a doneness to it. Mm-hmm. But in making the shift, I think what happens is that no matter what category that I end up being in, whether it's father, husband, brother, friend, associate, business partner, etc., if I take any of those relational names and I just apply respect and the ability to listen in any of those situations. As I learn to have respect and listen, all of those things change, no matter which relationship I was in. But what so did you say from, from where you're listening is the big point here? From where I'm listening, exactly well put. I, I, and, I, and I think it's a switch from hearing to listening. Mm-hmm. And listening involves taking it on like taking it on into yourself and that's letting it run into you and be affected by another's life and let mm-hmm. let it sit in there for a second as opposed to just simply hearing the words letting them land in your head understanding them clearly but not ever listening to them in your body mm-hmm. and where do you listen in your body how do you listen how does that fill you and when I now listen to people, I let it, I listen with more of me, it seems. And so it doesn't matter what relationship I'm in. Even the relationship, not even, but the relationship I have with myself is I listen to myself yeah. in the same kind of way. And so that then informs me too. Because you are in relationship to yourself. How do you listen to yourself? Are you hard on yourself? Are you mean? Do you overeat, overdrink, overexercise? You're not listening to yourself, you'll get sick, you'll die, you'll be miserable and unhealthy and diseased. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the cause of that. So start listening to yourself is what I would say to myself. And that's what I did. How did your relationship with your children, how has that evolved over time looking through this um, evolutionary lens? Well... Again, because back to that word respect and respecting my children as they've gotten older for being who they are, not who I thought they should be or who I wanted them to be, or but just letting them be who they were and loving them for who they were, however they were. And I have beautiful children, so it wasn't that difficult. But at the same time, 
I think it comes back to that same place. Let me listen to you, and then you be who you are, and I'll be who I am. And, and it works better for me everywhere I go that way. Well, then, and that's so beautiful, and I've, I've witnessed this myself um, in you and in and other men who have uh, really devoted themselves to consciousness work and awakening work, and that's, you know, and I say men, again, it's sort of a, that loose term for uh, the opposite of me in some way, but that is, as time goes by, it seems so, such a silly thing to say, I like your idea that, you know, our two-legged should <laughs> But with respect to the existing archetypal imprint, you know, what I, I don't want to overlook that because that is still so prevalent today. Um, and so much work needs to be done. Um, I'm curious about when, when we come back, I want to talk about this experience that other people who may or may not be sharing your point of view uh, including your children and other people who still see you as this white privileged male and how this affects the rest of um, the work that we need to do here on the planet when we get back right after these messages we're going to talk about the kind of forgiveness work that men can do uh, as modeled by something you did yourself David when we get back right after these messages don't touch that dial we'll be right back Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at it 50-50 and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net Welcome back, everybody. We're coming up to the top of our program here. Um, David, uh, right before we went to break, you were talking about how, you know, the, the changes that were happening in your life and your experience about yourself and as you were moving through the world. But I asked you a question and I want to pose that now. What do we? What do you think about the, the places that haven't changed? The prevalent ideas that we still are faced with, uh, the polarized uh, situation we have at a political level, at a, uh, the level of society, community, humanity, really across the world, in so many ways. I mean, we're we're pretty pretty privileged in terms of consciousness work here on the coast, right? Um, but but it's, it's, it's everywhere. What do you want to say about how the work that you see that needs to be done and, and how you found your way deep into it through a kind of forgiveness in our relationship? I'd love for you to speak to this. Well, 
I think we have to start with, you know, with ourselves. I think we need to accept responsibility for how we have shown up in the world and what we've done and recognize that what we do, there's a choice to it. And we can actually choose to be respectful and kind and loving and and um, et cetera, or we can choose not to be. But we can't choose when we don't know who we are. So my work that I would suggest people to work on would be yourself. And we keep if we keep trying to fix it on the outside, it just isn't going to work. And um, so let's begin with ourselves, and let's begin to take responsibility to how we've contributed to what's going on and to blame everybody else and to point fingers at how everybody else is wrong or side with everybody because of your particular belief system and that they're right, I think that's actually helping divide us. So my goal would be to have people begin to listen to themselves, to begin to feel that they're not alone, that there is a poly or a diverse quality to being human, and to have respect for um, the multitude ways of being on this planet, that we're not, we get to express ourselves many, many, many ways. Well, one of the ways that you express yourself, because these, these in theory are, these ideas in theory are lovely, but you know me, it's all about, you know, what people say and what they do when they are disparate, I, I pay attention, and so do most of us. We notice how much lip service is paid to a lot of these concepts. But one, something you did changed my life radically, and then our ultimately our relationship, uh, the direction of our relationship, it changed the course of our whole relationship, this one experience we had. And just to give the listeners a little bit of background, David and I had been um, friends and then started to turn our relationship towards the romantic horizon. And I was having some challenges um, with my history with men. And it, this is, again, well before a lot of this, this uh, information and this big cultural shift was hitting the, the fan. Um, and David, um, let's, if you don't mind, can we talk about sure. what was happening for you and what, what happened that night and, and, and what impulse, what impulse, um, moved through you to, to say the things that you did and to live, uh, as a living amends in, in our relationship on behalf of, of, of our cultural imbalance? Well, I, the story that I have, for us was that I saw you as representing all of the entire feminine on the entire planet. You represented that as a female. And it was my duty. And so I said to you that I was sorry, that I was sorry for all the work, all the damage that I had done, not just to you, but to all women. And that I was sorry for all men who had harmed you in any way, conscious, unconscious, knowingly, unknowingly. And that this this, we have to start somewhere like that. And so I, at the time, I didn't even know what I was saying in terms of the power of it, but I felt this overwhelming need to say that I was sorry, not for because I hadn't done anything wrong to you that, was, that I even knew of, but I knew that because I was a white privileged male that I represented to you so much damage, so much harm, so much misery, and that I had to say... I'm responsible for that. How can we work on that? And then I won't do that to you again. 
<laughs> and still, I'm sorry. I'm still overwhelmed by hearing those words. And um, I'm, I'm, I have to work with that every single day. And I see it now from the top of our government all the way down. And instead of saying, I would say to the men now, don't listen to locker room talk the way that we've heard it. Take on the responsibility and just say, no, we're not going to do that. No, I'm not going to be racist. No, I'm not going to be um, against uh, disabled people. All of that, no matter what category, women it just happens to be 6% of the world or more maybe. And we have to say, no, we're not doing that. So listen to yourself, men, and feel like, no, don't do that. And and take on the respect of what it means to be human, this privilege we have to live today. And don't listen to these lies. Oh, it's very, very touching to me still, and that you have been a man who has not only lived what you've spoken, David, but who it's made you has also been um, something that has impacted many people around us, uh, the way we model relationships, not that we're perfect or anything, but the things that we have chosen to stand for and the, the ways that you and I have been committed to our spiritual path and to each other, our devotion towards our growth and not only with ourselves, uh, to our relationship but to the community and to our families and the work just seems to be never ending which is a delight I know for both of us because this is for us the best show in town <laughs> they say, yeah. you know there's nothing else I want to do um, this is the best seat when you get out of the seat that we're stuck in this yeah. is the seat that actually yeah. is better than that <laughs> yeah, it really is. This the is price, the, the price for admittance, though, is what? It's a little rough. You got <laughs> it. Everything you rough. got. Everything you got. Yeah, everything you've got. Everything you got. And it's something we both were willing to pay, and the benefit of which is we we get to share our lives together one day at a time and create programming just like this and going out and doing our work in the world and trying to one person at a time, one group at a time, one interaction at a time, inviting other people deeper into their path of becoming more conscious. And as this relates to the divine masculine and feminine, as we come up to the top of the program, um, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, honey? Um, uh, somebody who might be tuning in at the cusp of their awakening or deepening their practice, anything you want to leave them with today? Well, all I, all I would say is that we're divine when we listen and we have respect and, we, and when we love. And so if we can just do the best we can to do the best we can. And um, it does take effort, but it's worth every second that that happens. So please, 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 please um, pay attention to, to this, please. Beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to give you the extra gigantic hug when I okay. see you in one, one minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For everybody else, blessings to you all listening out there, struggling to understand this shift 
this time where you might even be moving back towards some old traditional ways that you feel like are something to hang on to um, or you're uncertain about what this topic still means and you're, you're contemplating uh, your place in the world right now. It seems an unstable, uncertain world oftentimes. And so what I would leave you with is spend your energy on that which no one can ever take from you, which you don't have to earn which cannot be given or taken away, uh, which is, resides in you. And that, for me, has always been the right path. Um, so with that, I bid you, again, every blessing. We're going to come back right after these messages for our break. Thank you, David, for joining us, for taking time to share your journey with us here. Thank you. Do you have relationship questions? I wish my past relationships didn't affect my relationships now to the point that I project them onto my partner. I'm perpetually single. What does that mean? You know, I've been single for 15 years, and at this point, I can hardly even imagine what intimacy and total connection would even feel like. The part of my relationship with a man that I've had in my life for so many years that keeps me here and present is that the relationship is not just about me, about us. We come in at 50-50 and it feels so good when you can help that other person move forward and they can help you. To get answers to your relationship questions, call in to Real Time Relationships with Marianne Camarado every fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on HealthyLife.net. You're listening to CHSR Real Radio on the web. I was kind of excited and a little nervous to interview my husband. I've never done that before, and I have to say that one of the things I love about that man so much is that there is a part of me that's still fascinated and curious and um, has such respect, obviously, for him all the time. Uh, well, 99% of the time, of course, I'm human. We, we have our moments uh, where we fall out of our, uh, our state of blissful relationship, of course. Um, but I really appreciated what he shared. I hope it touched you in some way or felt useful or valuable. We'd love to hear from you. Go to MarianneCamarado.com for more information about upcoming podcasts and programming just like this. And uh, please stay in touch with us. And uh, it is our vow to help you attract and create healthy, fulfilling, sustainable relationships starting with you. I wish you every blessing. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Real Time Relationships. Take care.